You are listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 135. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. As always, you can find the links and notes mentioned in today's episode at ManiverseSaga.com. If you want to find out how we can help you grow your game store with a comprehensive digital marketing strategy, you can book your free digital assessment by going to ManiverseSaga.com forward slash MMA. We will do a deep dive on the six main areas of digital marketing for your game store, identify what's working and what can be improved on, create a plan that incorporates each of the six pillars, and how we can put the plan into action for you over the next 90 days. Book your assessment at ManiverseSaga.com forward slash MMA. All right, you're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and uh, yeah, welcome to uh, another episode of the podcast. I have with me Robin Lowy on today. She's the owner of Mind Taker Miniatures in Vancouver, Washington. And we're going to talk about what it takes to uh, take some minds, I guess. Mm. Welcome to yeah, the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. No problem. I appreciate uh, you giving us this time, especially you know on the weekend and uh, and just being here and, and sharing some of your you know some of the, some of your experiences and some of the lessons that you've learned. So, starting things off, I think the best place to begin is always at the beginning. Let's take us back. You know, you've been in business for a little while now. Go back to prior to the store. What what was the reasoning for you to get into this line of work? Uh, where did you come from? What's the origin story of my Taker Managers? Well, um, as a nerdy family, we've always been, um, you know, played a lot of games, had a lot of games, like a lot of new games, and had a little bit of gamer ADD. So we were constantly switching up what we were playing, also as miniature gamers, uh, switching up armies all the time, and that is not the most economical way to live. So we started doing some light trading online to go, hey, we're not playing this game anymore. Why don't we pick up something new or get this other game that I've been dying to play? And just kind of through that process of trading our own things lightly online, found we really enjoyed that process and found it its own fun game and started just expanding on what we can buy and trade. Some of our friends started noticing our, um, that we were doing good at it and asked us to move things for them too, because it is a hard thing to do. It's not terribly easy. Um, and word spread more and more. And all of a sudden we found we were doing this more for other people than ourselves and still really enjoying the process. So we just decided to make a business of it and just trade it online. And then it grew and grew and grew until it could not fit in our home anymore. There was just no way that we could handle the amount of products we were dealing with or the workload. And we needed to hire people and bringing people into your home is a little weird. So we decided <laughs> to get processing space. And this was in 2020. So we got a little 900 square foot um building and just used it to process lots and and have help doing that and shipping out all those things that we were selling. And people were coming in to pick up their um, purchases and they just kept coming in and then started shopping around, even though it was very warehouseful uh, format with just boxes with grid numbers and not the easiest thing to look at. And then it outgrew that space too. And so we looked at what we needed for space and how to make that work and decided to go full blast retail with it and incorporate play space and really listen to our customers and community and what they wanted in a space and just go forward with that. And that's where we are in our space in Vancouver now. That is a very interesting 
like path to where you are today. Yeah, are it wasn't to... terribly planned. Yeah, uh, it was a slow grow. Yeah, it's it's interesting because obviously this is miniatures focused, right? A lot of game stores start off with uh, a backpack full of cards and a dream, right? That's usually how the plan goes. Uh, but this is a different approach, more focused on the uh, the physical side of things, like the miniatures, the board games, that sort of thing. Uh, so that's a very different like approach to getting things. But it's really interesting that you kind of grew up out of this organic need and demand and kind of just filled in what was already being required, right? The the market in a sense, kind of all these people were saying, ah, we, I want to sell you my stuff. I would like to buy more things from you and I'd like to, to support you in what you're doing. And uh, I think that's a really good way of starting starting the business, right? Especially since you, like you said, you had uh, the experience of finding that you really enjoyed what you were doing rather than jumping into it and then finding out that, oh, I this what, turns out this business thing isn't for me, right? You yeah. had the the lead the slow lead up to be like okay i do like this i do involve like i enjoy the process of the work i enjoy the business not because i get to play games all day but because of what we get to do and that means it's a lot easier for things to continue growing on that path you know if you're happy what you're doing that's probably a really good sign yeah yeah having a certain passion for spreadsheets and research um (laughs) lends itself but yeah yeah that definitely definitely helps, especially when it comes to accounting. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious about what the uh, the business model, at least earlier on, was. So when you were buying and selling these games and these models online, uh, were you, did you have this audience that naturally like came to you because they knew that you were somebody that they could go to to sell their things? Did you, like, did you have a community that you reached out to? How did you build up the business in a sense from scratch to get those customers, to get the the inflow so that you could sell out and that kind of stuff? Well, we started with our local community and we were members, are still members of our um, local game, wargaming group, Ordo Fanaticus. And there's a party member base there and it's wargaming focused. And a lot of people were trading amongst themselves and that as well. So we just leaned into that community and from there it branched out as well as just establishing ourselves online and using fun marketing to try and push that out. How long have you been full-blown retail at this point? What, like when, when it's like my ticker miniatures is now a real thing, people can come visit, it's not just the warehouse and it's not just the trading online, how long has it been? Uh, we've been in our space for just over one year now. How has the first year uh, gone? Um, it's gone way better than I anticipated. It's been a lot of work. I'm getting a little tired. I, um, <laughs> we knew when we were launching into this new retail space that we were going to sacrifice a year of our lives. Like there, it's going to be 80 hour work weeks. We're going to be working weekends, nights, everything. And we knew that would happen. We prepared. And at the end of this first year, it is a, where I hoped it would be a little further. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be as successful as it was in the first year, because in realistic timelines, uh, you want to factor in a couple of years until you're breaking even on a new big space, lots of uh, investment into fixtures and product and all of those things takes a while to recoup. So I was definitely surprised by how fast we made the space work that's great to hear that's pretty cool that things have gotten rolling so fast and that you're further ahead than what you anticipated initially uh, do you feel like that is because of the way that you build things up prior to the official launch or is that more of a function of uh, you know you picked the right location you got the great you know you had a, a community lined up for you that just sort of found its place and came to you what do you think some of the factors were for uh, getting to where you are now I think um, probably we could have made this move earlier than we did, and we were maybe a little hesitant to jump in so in such a big way. Um, I feel like all the we did have the community built around us and the customer base, and we had our processes and services down. Um, I feel like I went off track. Um, 
I'm sorry. What was the um, your question? It's okay. I was just wondering what the what do you think some some of the important factors of the success level that you've achieved so far? Was it because of some of the things that you did before? Uh, some of the processes, like you were mentioning, like what are some of the things that have contributed to that? I think really embracing the in-person customer experience that we were able to do now and not being just an online entity anymore allowed us to really make more connections and build our local market to um, where there were tons of Warhammer players and other gamers right in our backyard that didn't know about us. We didn't know about them and really being able to build, bring this community together and allowed it to grow exponentially too, which I believe added a lot to the success of the space. It was a, um, we have a fair amount of game stores in our area, uh, less miniature uh, wargaming focused ones and uh, doing uh, pre-owned, used and out of print things is certainly unique. So that draws its own sort of crowd. I think the other big factor, which I always kind of bank and hope it stays around, is the resurgence of gaming nostalgia and all of that that is just pop culture at the moment. Yeah, we're definitely in the middle of a bit of a renaissance for tabletop and nerd culture and hobbies that I'm sure we've enjoyed for a long time, but uh, the mainstream is kind of discovering for the first time in, in, uh, in history, in a sense. So I'm sure there is a bit of a rising tide kind of kind of sensation thing happening right now, which is great. But this is, it's yeah. a good time to be in this business. I think this industry, like the perception for what a game store could be or what a game store was 10, 15 years ago is very different from what the upper higher potential of what a game store could be is now. The idea that you could have the, you could have a very successful business that very, uh, very much so provides for you and your family, creates a great community, creates a great space, sells a great product, is is almost it's it's almost like brand new in a sense. There are only like there were only a handful of stores that could claim to be doing really well successfully and growing and <clears throat> being profitable <clears throat> before. Whereas now it's I think it's becoming more of like yeah, if you do this right, I think you very well could be achieving you know real business success it's not just i don't know i feel like for a long time games have looked or game stores have been looked at as you know you're selling games right it's not really a you're not making widgets in a factory and that's what capitalism is all about right like it's a there's a bit of a, a a new new version and a new appreciation and a new like visible potential for what uh, what can be done and it's really really good to see it's nice to be able to introduce and kind of mold the um, new generation, so to say, of gamers and um, how they're utilizing the community and games and building social networks around it. You've been open for one year. I'm sure a lot has happened over the course of one year. Like you said you were working hours and hours, and that's what you expect to do as a business owner. So I'm sure in that one-year time span, you've probably learned a considerable amount about what to do and most likely also what not to do. What are some of the things that, let's start with what not to do. What are, what are some of the things that you've, you know, maybe you started off with that you thought would work or you thought, you know, this would be, let's try this out, let's make this happen. And then maybe didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to, uh, wanted them to. Oh gosh, product lines all the time. You're like, yeah, I have great hopes for this. And then it doesn't work. And now you have to play the, what do I do with this game? Um, I've been learning a lot on, because our business has been so much um, used in uh, community sourced, we haven't had a ton of control over what we sell. We're just taking in things and putting it back out and doing the best we can with that. Um, so actually being able to look out into the wild world and bring in product is a new layer I'm adding into. Um, my education and our business um, and just learning how to read our community and see what they like putting out wide nets that maybe buy two of something don't decide because four people said it was cool that you need five cases of it um, 
<laughs> been learning a lot about that side of retail. I think um, if, you know, if I reset a year, there would be a little bit difference in my purchasing habit, but not a ton. I, I think the learning experience itself and making those mistakes are very valuable, especially when dealing with your local community and figuring out how to read that. Have you come up with a system for saying, for, I guess, aligning yourself to, okay, so I've gotten enough people at this point who've said they want product X, they're interested, they want it, you know, they would buy it. Okay, now we're bringing it in. Okay, we feel confident. Or, you know, are you still sort of kind of intuiting what's going to be the exciting new hot stuff next? A little bit of both. Some of the stuff I do rely a bit on my own personal instinct of, I think this is really cool. I think it's going to be amazing. Maybe nobody else knows about it, but I'm going to trust this and go in. Uh, with that, I guess that's an ambiguous thing you, that I can never really assign a uh, formula to. But everything else I have pretty much down. I, I get like, it's a new release that people have said they're interested in. I'm going to still go wide on it, but low amount and hopefully get a lot of people coming back and saying, oh, when are you ordering that next? So it's relying on that wide and low formula for most new products right now has been really my takeaway there. It's a, it's a good approach. I, I remember there, there, there was a thread in the, uh, the game store owners group about somebody who was opening their shop in the near future and they were trying to figure out how do you determine what you get at the beginning? Like, how do you determine your inventory right off the bat when you have no idea what, and you, know, you don't know what's going to sell, right? Yeah. Uh, especially for, like, you can you can make a good bet on traditional stuff. You know, Magic's probably going to do well. Pokemon's probably going to do well. You can probably assume that whatever you buy, you will most likely sell at some point with uh, those sorts of things. But when it comes to board games or, you know, Games Workshop products or other miniature games, you don't know if there's going to be demand for that product line until you really get it in there and you start putting it in front of people and they say yes or no. That's a, that is a real challenge and it's an ongoing challenge and figuring out a way to kind of walk that line between, I've got, like you said, you know, four people who said they're really interested in this, but are they actually going to buy it? And are they actually going to, is that enough to support it? And is there enough people that aren't saying that they're interested in order for me to bring this in as a product line and figuring that out is one of the great challenges. There's always something new coming, and it's always a question of is this going to be something that's going to make a really big difference, or is this going to be something that you know goes uh, ends up in the clearance bin six months later? And obviously, we want to avoid we avoid that as much as you can. Always. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what are some of the let's flip side? What are some of the things that you know you've tried that have just like taken off that you feel really went well for you? What are the, some of the really big wins that you've had so far? Um, definitely a lot of our, uh, unique, um, things, we just lean into them and these silly ideas that we have, like bits by the ounce, uh, we do use and we take in lots and sometimes they're just people's bits bin comes to us and we put that out for other people. And it is honestly one of the most popular features of my store. People just love it. They lose their minds. People will sit at the bits bin for literal hours, sorting <laughs> through, picking out what they want, and it, it's what brings them back. It's going to be a different selection next week, and they need that one thing to convert that model, and we are the place they're going to find it. We do a lot of bulk things. Uh, based on that one model being so popular, a lot of bulk minis where if it's under a certain value, there's not a lot of benefit of taking the listing time and photo time and all of that with it, where we can let people pick out that one character they need for their D&D game and not buy an entire set. It's another thing people love to look through and we'll just be very excited to come in the next time and see what's new to offer in those bulk selections. Um, so taking basically what a lot of other maybe stores people would deem as 
useless, valueless has been one of our best selling points and um, cool. definitely things people like are actively taking pictures of, sending it to their friend, coming back with that friend next week to go through those bins again. That is, I think, our greatest success is those weird little features that differentiate our store. That makes a lot of sense to me. Anything that stands out, anything that's unique, that's different, that no one else is doing, uh, is it's usually a good chance that that's going to be something that people are going to like come back for. That's going to be the thing that sets you apart, because you know, you know, anyone can buy the same Games Workshop, you know, miniatures from whoever is selling them. It's if it comes in a box, it's going to be the same thing no matter what. It's the things that really make you different, that make it special. That's right. Like you, you said that they were taking pictures and then sending it to their friend and like, oh, you got to come check this out. This is so cool. Like you, you've got all these, you know, these neat miniatures that you know maybe you've never seen before or, or that kind of thing. I uh, think it's a really cool approach and it's obviously it's really working and it's it's really resonating with the customers that are coming in because people don't you don't get that response for uh, for most of the products that are on the shelf, right? People aren't going to be super excited about the same thing that they could find most other places it's the things that they can't find anywhere else that really make it make a difference so i'm curious like the meat and potatoes part i the more that you describe this this, this store the more i'm like how how do you get all this stuff where do you buy this do because i'm sure there's a with card card focused shops are usually the vast majority of them that's the more common version of things uh you know they buy and sell cards from their customers but unless it's a major focus sometimes like that's not a really uh reliable source of inventory how do you how do you encourage that what do you do like how do you get it so that you've got this constant flow do you have multiple sources do you like do you do outreach on a constant basis to be like please bring in your stuff and let us evaluate it and see where you're at and trade it in for something else like how does that portion work um, well, intake or getting in new product is always our um, main focus of most of our um, online marketing. And our, well, most of our marketing in general revolves around the getting stuff in rather than selling things. We do a lot of um, selling email, but we do focus on buying, which gets us a far reach. We have um, a great um SEO team that is out there working hard for us, getting intake in every day. Um, and the fact that we do a thing that not a lot of other places do, uh, which is appraising miniatures and working with that. A lot of people just have these boxes in their attic and they're like, I don't know what it is anymore. Or it wasn't, it was a family members that left it at home and went off and grew up or whatever. Um, and they're left with piles of nostalgia. Um, so we really work hard to um, provide a service to people of being able to take these big, messy lots and evaluate them, appraise them, research it, find out what it is to take all that work off you and turn it into cash money. And that is appealing to a lot of people. Uh, so, yeah. It, Definitely, we have to work hard to keep that new product coming in. Uh, the new store definitely helps when people can come in and see things like what's in their attic out on the floor and that people are buying it. it they get the idea in their head, hey, I have that stuff. And it's been growing a lot. Our intake team, we have had to add to that has grown a lot since this new store launched. That's awesome. And that... I really like that as an angle. I think it's really cool. As a marketing guy, that's I like that a lot in the sense that instead of focusing on what you can sell, the thing that people really are attracted to is the like, hey, bring your stuff. We pay top dollar for your your old, like you said, piles of nostalgia. Bring your, your toy soldiers in and we will very happily uh, appraise them for you. So that's also uh, not my area of expertise in terms of like, I'm, I'm a card guy and less of the miniatures guy. If somebody is, you know, listening to this and they're thinking, okay, this is really cool. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you appraise a miniature? How do you know what that's valued at? Like, what are the, how do you, 
you just throw a dart on a dartboard? How do you figure that stuff out so that you know what you're doing and you you know have built a profitable business off of it? Well, um, a lot of it is there are some great tools available online. Uh, the website Stuff of Legends is amazing. They have miniature catalogs going back to the 70s. And, um, you know, basically uh, there is a lot of stuff that we know. It's acquired knowledge that we have. We, um, we draw that people to us, those people to us to work, people who love, who can look at a GW miniature from the 80s and tell you exactly what that is on site are attracted to mind takers. That's what we sell. And so we have great people on our team that can do these things. And we have great Google artists on our team that can find the information if it's not there. I, I have a love of collecting GW catalogs. So I have a stack of those in my office. Um, and uh, then it's a lot of just doing research on comparisons and how to run an appraisal. This is where um, I was a realtor for a bit of time and always really enjoyed the um, pricing and comparison model and data analysis there. So just applying the same concepts of looking at the prices that it's selling for online and coming to an average there. and with it. I like that. So it's a, it's a mix of uh, knowledge and expertise. There's there's an element of that, uh, but there are tools out there to, to help with the process as well. So I think that's, that's really neat. I like that a lot. I think the idea of, of having that, that, you know, that structure is the top of your funnel that brings people in that then turns into this, you know, this successful business on the back end is, is really cool. I like that a lot. Uh, you also mentioned uh, SEO, and you said that marketing the intake side of things is a big portion of things. Uh, so when you say SEO, you mean search engine optimization? Yes, and um, I toss and say my husband uh, works uh, in SEO. He works for a um, ad agency, and he does handle all of this stuff for MindTaker. Always has, um, and I don't know a ton about it, but if some great people on that, um, but he would love to talk your ear off about SEO. Oh my gosh, that'd be a whole nother conversation about how intake and SEO work together, which is fascinating, but very um, above me. <laughs> it can be a bit esoteric if you don't, you know, some of the, the nuts and bolts of the whole thing, but I find that interesting just in the fact that that is a core focus. And that obviously is drawing in enough people that organic traffic who are just searching for, I guess, models I can, or, you know, I want to sell my GW, I want to sell my Games Workshop models or something like that. And they're finding you, right? They're coming to you. Yeah. Uh, so in, I guess, follow-up question to that is, do you get a lot of people uh, outside of your local area that are sending you boxes in the mail? Like you started off as like an online operation. Is it, are you drawing oh, yeah. from a large source or is it mo mainly people coming to you in person and saying, here's my box? Um, it's both. Uh, we did start online and pretty much all of our stuff was from everywhere. Gosh, we have people internationally shipping us things uh, because there are, again, so few places that will even do this service uh, for people. There's maybe 10. I know of in total, and that's over the last 10 years, and not maybe all still exist. Um, shipping is definitely like that's the, the biggest challenge in all of this is uh, people love the idea. It's a great product. They need the service, but all of a sudden, the, the here comes customer in Florida that needs to get 20 pounds of miniatures to Washington. And so that creates a little challenge in the wide reach, but not enough that people won't do it. Uh, we've spent a lot of time learning shipping and how to advise customers and work with people to make those collections travel well and cost effectively to be able to get it back out into the world. Uh, yes, it has definitely reached far and wide and the people that, um, we deal with our customers 
we take good care of and word of mouth is also another big portion of our marketing. So it spreads in weird pockets across the country. The idea of having a unique offering or doing something unique and special that not many people do. And like you said, if there's only, you know, double digits of the number of places that you can that provide the same thing that you do, you've got a really unique space. You're in a, you know, in a niche, within a niche, within a niche that's like very, very well positioned. Uh, and obviously there are millions of, of miniatures gamers all over North America, right? That uh, eventually need to upgrade or need to trade in. And how many places can they go to? And if you're doing it, you know, if you're known for doing it the best or doing it the fastest or just providing a great experience, then they're going to naturally be drawn to you, which is really great. We also like to lean into um, not being quite so collector status about how we release everything back into the world. We very much care about the community and people playing games and know that people loved these collections intensely when they give them to us and want to see them back out playing that army can fight again on a table um, and really keeping our prices in line with what the community is paying and not so much creating designer prices because this model was, you know, limited in 1993. Um, so that gives people a lot of um, incentive to come to us as well when they know that their treasures are going to be treasured again. Mm, I like that. That's a good way to put it. And I like the idea of, of investing in the goodwill of the community. Not that, yeah. There is a balance between doing that because the goodwill will not pay the bills, but goodwill oh, well. will eventually give you the, you know, hopefully the good stuff that will pay the bills. Uh, so there is a, a bit that you have to put into that and, and making sure that you are providing the community a service and in a fair way that they value is a, is a really good way of doing that, especially if they realize and you like emphasize that this is what we're doing, right? Because sometimes people don't realize necessarily why you're doing something. They can't see your intentions. But if you make that known and you say, this is why we do this, this is why we value this, this is the things that we find important as a business, as people, that shows through. And then people will eventually uh, take note and, and reciprocate that by you know, hopefully becoming repeat customers and supporting everything that you do, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of customers, do you have any customer stories? Anything that has happened over the last year that you, you know, you've... Uh, I guess exemplifies some of the things that make you happy to go to work every day. So much. Uh, we do and we deal in such a, a joy-based uh, hobby. You know, everything like we sell people things that make them happy. They're coming to us for their leisure time. Most of your interactions are pretty fun and a lot of like really fun stories of finding customers that book that they really wanted when they were a kid and haven't seen since and they found it in our store and they can have it as an adult and that's a pretty common one that just like makes the whole thing worth it every day um we have some because we deal in you uh recently it's a little weird because when you deal in used, there is always an outside chance that the stuff coming to you may not have gotten to you legally <laughs> um, in that it might be stolen as in any consignment shop, any resale environment. When you're not dealing with a manufacturer, there's that question. Um, we did, we got a call from a person not too long ago saying, Hey, uh, I, I saw that my, um, a lot of my, uh, an army of mine that had been stolen from my car had wound up at your store because somebody posted about it online. We hadn't listed this for sale yet. It was still in our um, holding process, actually. And, um, but long story short, we got to reunite this army with its owner after all sorts of proper verification and whatnot, but the owner was had written 
this off. Some of these um, pieces had won painting competitions. Some were their first pieces that was very special to the owner. And they thought it was gone forever. It was able to be reunited. And that just made all of our days because we understand the work and effort that goes into these things. We're hobbyists ourselves that play and paint and do all of that. So that was a special moment. But yeah, mainly it's just getting to watch um, everybody act like they're 12 years old again when they walk into our store. And that's just a fun vibe to be around all the time. Absolutely. I like the idea of, you know, being a joy-based business. I think that's a really good way to put it. I think it's one of the one of the things that makes game stores in general, the, the idea of the game store business model so special is not only do you sell things that make people happy, which is great, right? You're not selling cigarettes that kill people. You're selling good things. You're selling things that are like intrinsically good and are good for people and good for the world. Uh, but they're fun. But it's not, and it's not even just that. Like, and I, I've had uh, several guests on the podcast talk about like you know the, the mental health benefits of of playing games and the, uh, the social benefits of being face to face with people. Like, there's a there are a lot of really good reasons to to partake in this business, to provide this kind of service that you can feel good about what you're doing. That's one of the, one of my favorite parts about the whole thing is that you've got this, uh, you know, you've got a community of people that care about what you do and you, you can feel good about the things that you're doing as part of the community as well. Oh yeah. Yes. It's definitely always is a happy place to work and to feel like you're making your own little difference in the world. You're at least making somebody's day what is, what is the hardest part about being a game store owner? There's a lot of needs in the community, and it can be challenging to have to pick and choose what you can do and what you can't do. And sometimes it's creating disappointment in people that um, play space costs money, and we can't just offer free play space. That'd be great. I would love to. In reality, we can't. I'd like our turnaround times to be faster for people, but we just need more. Uh, Got to get faster at research. That's all. Um, yeah, there's not a lot that I just, there's a lot of hours involved in being a, a parent. I have a 15-year-old uh, and 11-year-old, and there's a lot going, oh, God, it's Maytember. Everything is happening right now, and as well as in the gaming community, everybody wants to throw a tournament right now, and there's lots of schools reaching out for things as well. It can be very overbearing on your schedule, and it can be hard to find time for just not working, but it's worth it in the end. And I'm very confident, based off of this conversation, uh, that good things are coming down the road, which Again, I think it's a great topic to discuss. What do you envision for the future of Mind Ticket Visions? What do you, or Mind Ticket Miniatures, sorry, Visions. What do you see in the next, say, two to three years? Where do you want the business to go? How do you want things to develop? Do you have any big plans for the next little while? Well, uh, we'd like to lean into our paint line and really expand that out into the world more and as well as lean into uh, some of our community events and building more activities for um, kids and tweens and just really becoming a hub for um, geeky people in the community and creating that third space that a lot of us need that is missing. So the idea of, of turning it into more of what it already is, just more, bigger, better, faster. Always, always. Nobody ever told me where the stop button is. So <laughs> I will just continue to build until somebody like knocks me out, I guess. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good way to, good way to think about it. Just keep going. Hopefully that the first year is always rough. Like you mentioned long hours. Yeah. It can be difficult. Uh, a lot of people face burnout in that first little while because, well, 
it can be a mix of things. It sounds like you've achieved a, a level of success that you've got this intrinsic motivation that, yeah, it's a lot of work, but you know, the reward's worth it. It's the, the challenging part is where it's a lot of work and it's not quite worth it yet, but you're confident it'll get there eventually. You know, like you gotta just keep putting it in. That's, that's a little bit more of a challenge. So I'm, it's, it's, I'm glad to hear that you've, you know, reached this point where even with the sheer number of hours putting into it, the reward is still well worth the effort. And then, you know, you've got the bright side to think about that in the next little while, that workload will hopefully diminish. And over time you can, you know, you hire the team and you figure it out and you get people to manage some of these things for you and you take a little bit more of a step back and uh, do some of the things that, you know, maybe you want to dedicate a little bit more time to somewhere else. Uh, if somebody was thinking about, you know, this sounds really interesting. I like what you're doing. I like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a miniatures kind of person. I wonder if this could be something that I could look into, or maybe they're an existing store and they are considering, you know, uh, bringing on more, a more of a miniatures heavy uh, product line. What kind of advice would you give somebody in that position if they were considering that sort of uh, path forward? Really, really fall in love with Excel. It's your best friend. Spreadsheets are your life now. Having a love for the hobby and game is great. And being able to distance yourself emotionally as well is very necessary when you're dealing in buy-sell trade of minis. Um, an evaluation of anything. I believe that's important in any buy-sell trade uh, business is being able to emotionally detach from your subject matter to give it the proper value that's going to make the business function. Did you have trouble doing that at all? Or was that just something that came naturally to you? Um, that was somewhat natural to me. Uh, I, again, going back to, I'm a little bit of an ADD hobbyist gamer. So I, it, that is my natural state of being. I love painting, but I just want to paint one thing and then paint a totally different thing. And so a lot of time it's, I paint things for other people. I don't really have a ton of my own stuff. I'm like, ooh, just let me do that one project and move on. So a lot of things I can really step back and be like, this is a project I'm working on right now. It's great, it's fun, I love it, it's amazing. Okay, it's done, wrapping, next one. Gotcha. So. So that wasn't necessarily the biggest obstacle for you, but the idea of emotionally investing into these things or, or maybe making an evaluation based off of, well, I love this thing as a kid. I'm going to, you know, I'll give you X number of dollars for it. And then it turns out that you're the only one who loved that thing as a kid. Yeah. That might be a problem. You don't want to let that, uh, that's not necessarily what you need as your North Star to, uh, to do, uh, to do business. Yes. We have had to train that a bit into our staff so that's something we talk about mm, interesting so i'm curious a little bit about that when you're discussing things with your staff are they making uh purchasing decisions as well are they doing the evaluations or does that mainly go up to like to you as the uh as the owner well um in our process now we have teams that Take in the product, do the baseline work of just listing it out and putting the quantities and conditions down. And a um, if a re current retail number exists, adding that information in. And then it is, um, and we basically apply formulas to everything, which um, removes any kind of a lot of emotional attachment element when everything is a straight numeric formula based on retailer market value. And, but there is um, a final approval of price that happens uh, afterwards by one team man member. So it, it is very thorough just to make sure that um, we can see different things in miniatures. Anybody can. Anybody can make a mistake or value things differently. So we like to make sure we get more than one set of eyes on things in all situations. I know that I, I know several business owners, several store owners, who their main job is basically they're just the buyer now. They are at the stage of their business where the only thing that they do is manage the inventory and just figure out what to buy next. And it's I like the idea of having it so that you have a system built into the business. I, I, I imagine this is probably why you're you know, such a big fan of Excel. It makes things like mm -hmm. this very easy. But the uh, having uh, 
having a process where all you have to do is figure out what it is, how many things you've got, what kind of conditions it is, you know, any other special variables, and then it spits out, okay, well, this is what we're going to value at in order for us to make a profit, in order for us to have a margin on it. I think that that makes it so that technically anybody can kind of figure that out, or at least, you know, you could have, you can duplicate yourself. You don't always have to be the person who's evaluating everything. So I would imagine that at your stage, that's probably, that's all you would be doing all day is if it all fell to you, that's all you'd be measuring. Oh God, yes, yes. It's been a long <laughs> process of removing myself from most tasks that we did like, from way back when, five years ago, to where we were the ones taking in the product, photoing it, listing it online, shipping it up, packing, you know, putting it back out into the world to I just tell other people to do it. That's still a little unreal to me as an owner, but um, definitely a lot of Process documentation is also a very important thing. I wanted to ask about tools as well. You mentioned Excel, obviously. That's a very important tool that you use on a regular basis. I imagine every single day, all the time. Are there any other tools that you use in your business that you, you couldn't live without? Um, well, we, I mean, of course, our, our website engine that is holding all the products and you know, there's a lot of work that goes into web development and all of that. That is a huge chunk that is grown with the business as well. And very much there was a huge shift in our business when we relaunched our website as a full e-commerce fancy site. Just those little changes there. Um, so our web tools are definitely invaluable. I mean, gosh, the host of online things that we that makes the business run. It's kind of scary when the internet goes down and we're like, how, how do we work <laughs> now? <laughs> um, yeah. and, and just people and having really good resources in people and your staff. How do you find the right people? This is like a question I want to pursue a little bit more deeply for, for stories going forward. How do you find the right people? How do you hire the right people? What do you look for? Uh, do have you come up with a, a good system for buying the right folks to get those people in, onto the team and and matching them up with the tools that you've got, you know, for finding the right miniatures? Well, I mean, there is the inherent there's a certain type of people that's drawn to apply <laughs> to our positions in the first place. I mean, absolutely, we have a ton more resumes than we have job offerings at any time. Um, and yeah, it is really listening for the person's passions. And maybe um, I, I know some of the weird tactics I've employed is knowing a particular game system is great and fun and helpful, but knowing how to operate Google Sheets and how to research things and just how to organize a box of miniatures is 10 times more important than actually knowing how that game is. Uh, so I look for people who are like almost obsessively detail oriented people who are like, I would like to do a repetitive task for eight hours a day. Like that is my person. So um, looking for just weird little idiosyncrasies and people that lend itself to unique natures of the job really yeah. helps to make sure you're getting people that are going to work with your culture and team and enhance what you can do and how far you can take things. I think that's really good advice. I like that a lot about looking for somebody who's really detail-oriented instead of just taking the passionate gamer fan and then trying to run with them. Finding somebody who has those core skills of the meat or the, the nuts and bolts of the job and saying, okay, well, we can teach you the, you know, we want you to be passionate, and but we can give you that expertise. We can show you how the game works. And then you can tell people how that, you can fill that in for the customers. It's a lot harder to teach someone how to be hyper efficient with something like Excel than it is to, to do that and kind of bring that on board and finding that sort of a mindset and saying, okay, that's the person I want to replicate as much as possible. I think that, that's a, a good approach. But that's that's just something I'm, I'm I want to find a little bit more uh, information about because that is again it's one of those universal struggles as a business owner. Once you right. need to start hiring, 
how do you find the right people, right? That's, that's a, a challenge that every business owner has to face at some point. Yes, very much so. <laughs> Luckily, having um, you come up through a community and having community involvement, um, our first hires were from that community and not strangers entirely. So that was definitely a privilege that... Um, it sounds like you've got something very special going on, something very unique. Even in the space of game businesses and game stores being unique in the space of business in general, you've got something very different being built. And it's very exciting. It's re really interesting to dig into. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, I think that is my basic um, business plan is lean into our uniqueness. It's what we have to offer the world. I have kept you on for a while at this point we're almost coming up on the hour mark so i do want to respect your time and you know let you get back to your your weekend with your family uh do you have any words of advice closing thoughts anything that you know you feel is like very important for at this stage in you know may 2023 what's happening is there anything that you want to leave the audience with uh before we you know tell people where they where they can find you and where they can connect with you and that sort of thing I think if anyone's thinking of getting into the business, absolutely dive in and do some research and check it out and go visit your game stores and see what's around you and how you can either improve that or find a whole new way to do everything. And it'll, it'll work out just fine. And where can people go if they want to find out more about you or connect with you? Well, you can check us out online at mindtaker.org, .org, it's weird, or come visit <laughs> us at 17030 Southeast First Street in Vancouver, Washington. It's not that far from Portland, so if you're in Portland, you can totally 20 minutes come visit us. I definitely recommend it, and if I were on the on that side of the continent, I would definitely be coming down to say hi, hopefully someday though. Um, but again, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, oh, it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. So very, very cool stuff. I'm really excited to see, excuse me, <coughs> where it goes in the future. So am I. <laughs> thanks. It was fun talking. All right. That is it for today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. If you want to go deeper on various topics around growing your game store, you should join the Maniverse Network. The Maniverse Network is where the content from the LGS Success Summit is hosted, and it's where I post more how-to-focused content around digital marketing for game stores. So if you want to explore a little more, the Maniverse Network is the place to be. You can create your account by going to maniversesaga.com forward slash join. Thanks again for listening to today's show. I'm Tom Traplin, and I've been your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast.